I grew up in a Christian home, and I am, will always be grateful for that fact. Although I really did not appreciate it when I was a teenager, particularly the family altar. And that was a common practice in our home. And no matter how old my older siblings were and how successful they are in the world's sense, they had to be home for the family altar. And, and it's a great privilege and a great honor as I look back how much that impacted me and impacted my life and impacted my ministry. But there's one thing I've always concerned me, particularly as I matured in Christ, and that is how I watched my father live a tormented and a joyless Christian life. He knew the Lord. He loved the Lord. But he never had joy in his life, in his Christian walk, simply because as a young man he was taught that he has no assurance of heaven. He believed strongly that he was saved when he had accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of his soul and the Lord of his life. But that would not guarantee him heaven as he was taught. He felt that he has to earn his daily salvation every day until that day. So if he died on the day in which he was on a spiritual high and walking with the Lord, then he'll make it to heaven. But he happened, if he happened to die in a time when he is in a spiritual wilderness, he would not make it to heaven. That's what he was taught. And I saw the torment and the lack of joy in his life. I saw in him a perception of a God who is undependable and unpredictable. I saw a perception of God who will love you when you're good, but he will reject you when you're not. I saw a perception of God as one who gives you a gift one day, but then he will take it away from you the next. I saw a perception of God who died on the cross and rose again, but only gives salvation to those who are able to keep themselves from falling. Above all, I saw a Christian who could never delight himself in the Lord's keeping power. The Lord's keeping power. I am personally convicted in my own heart that there is no believer in Jesus Christ, a person whose heart been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and who would not read the Scripture and would not feel absolutely exhilarated and feel thrilled, feels overwhelmed at times by the fact that salvation is a permanent gift of the grace of God, that salvation is for keeps, that salvation is for eternity, that salvation is not something you get one day, then you lose the next day, that salvation is the reflection of God's nature, and God does not take away what He had already given away. And so as I began to grow in the knowledge of the Word of God and this truth from the Word of God, I began to grieve over my father's joyless Christian life. I began to grieve over my father's torment and fear over whether he is going to make it to heaven or not. 
And how much harder he must try in order to make sure that he's not going to miss heaven. And it is my prayer today that everyone who's here today, that if you are in that kind of joyless, tormented life, that today be a day of change for you in your life. And the day in which you begin to understand the keeping power of God. I promise you, you will have joy unspeakable. I know I speak from experience. So, I know some of you kind of already thinking in your minds, you got some questions, and many of the questions are, does it mean that you are not going to be attacked by the enemy because of the keeping power of God? The question is, will the keeping power of God keep me from spiritual dangers? And the answer is absolutely not. In fact, it's to the contrary. The danger is greater because the evil one is after you with vengeance, with vigor. And left to yourself, and I'm left to myself, will be in deep trouble. But listen to Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, when he said, Father, I ask you to keep them from the evil one. You see, it's the power of God's keeping that is going to keep you from the evil one. Although the danger is great, but God's keeping power is greater. The second question people often ask, does it mean that the keeping power of God is going to keep me from sinning? (laughs) Absolutely not. Only in heaven we'll stop sinning. But as long as we walk in this life, as long as we live in this flesh, we will always be tempted. We'll always fall flat on our faces. Am I encouraging you to do that? No. But I can tell you one thing. Any believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, when they fail, when they sin, they immediately turn to the Lord and repent, even with tears. Why? In fact, that is a real indication if you are in Jesus Christ or you're not. Whether you allow and permit and tolerate sin in your life without repentance, without turning to the Lord and asking for His forgiveness. Whether you're sensitive to His Spirit or not. Some of you are probably still saying, How do I know that God's keeping power will sustain me to the end? I'm going to answer that question. But before I answer that question, I want to do an interactive sermon here, okay? I want you to respond to me. I'm going to ask you four questions, and I'm going to ask you to answer those questions. And you can yell the answers back. In fact, the answer to each of these questions is going to be two words. No way. Isn't that easy? Can you do that? You say, no way? way. You can do it. Imagine a couple who want to have a child. And God gives them a child, whether it's by birth or by adoption, and they have the great joy of taking this baby home. But then when they take this baby home, that baby is crying his or her head off, particularly at night. So, you have been tired, you haven't slept, you're exhausted, and you come to the point of total exhaustion as parents, and you would say, this is it. We can't take this anymore. We lost our sleep. We lost our peace. We are exhausted. We're going to give this baby away. What would the parents say? God bless you. 
So the baby gets a little older, and uh, they go through the terrible twos, and, and uh, wanting to do their thing. She or he doesn't obey instruction like he, <laughs> you hoped they would. And the parents will get so exasperated at times. So what will the parents say? This is it. I can't take this anymore. I'm going to give the child away. What would the parents say? Then comes the dreaded teen years. <laughs> Emotions are high-wired. I mean, they're going up and down, and independence sets in, and pulling away from parents becomes a very common thing. And then, of course, being opinionated and sort of having the know-it-all attitude, and, you know, it's all just all too common to teenagers. And the teenager gets, really starts getting on the parent's nerve on a regular basis. So what does the parent say? That's it. I'm giving him away. I'm giving her away. What did the parents say? <laughs> Some of you are honest anyway. <laughs> But some of you haven't experienced this wonderful fourth stage yet. When they go to college. When they go to college. And they never call home unless they want something. I remember my kids were in college and as soon as they call and the conversation starts by saying, Dad, I love you. I always say, how much? Not how much you love me, but how much money you want. And these parents hear that their child is cutting class, sleeping in, and all the things that go on in college. Well, let's just keep it the secret between us here. So the parents would say, that's it. I've had enough. He or she is old enough. They're out of here. What would the parents say? They see the softening a little bit. <laughs> No way. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. If you and I, weak, imperfect, at times selfish as we are, could never give away our children regardless of their failures, how much greater is the keeping power of the almighty, loving, caring, gracious Heavenly Father? Amen belongs here. You see, you and I are saved by the grace of God. You say, saved from what? <laughs> I like it with some of those well-meaning people go around, you know, looking at people who don't know the Lord and says, are you saved, brother? Well, if he's not saved, he's not a brother. <laughs> I mean, you know, just people do funny things. Christians really do dumb things, too. But you say saved from what? We talk about being saved. We talk about salvation. But what's saved from what? The answer to this question should be, in fact, it should tell you volumes about the keeping power of God. Why? Because God saves us not just to be nice guys. God saves us not just so we can be members of a wonderful church like this. 
God saves us not just so we can fellowship with one another. God saves us not just so that we can have joy and peace in this life. God saves us not just so that we can play the Christian role. No, 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 and a million no. These are the benefits of salvation. These are the fruit of salvation. But the very word salvation implies that He saves us from eternal judgment, that He saved us from the wrath that is to come, that He had saved us from the shipwreck. He rescued us from eternal damnation into eternal heaven. That's what salvation is all about. So how can anyone think that God would save you but not take you all the way home? Do you know what that would be like? That would be like somebody drowning on the high seas and about to die, and then a beautiful luxury yacht just pulls in next to him. And then the people in the yacht will pull him out, give him a shower, dress him up, feed him until he feels good, and he says, okay, now, buddy, you can swim home. (laughs) i got to swim these many miles. I am very far from home. You would say, that's impossible. How can you do that? When you save somebody out of a shipwreck, somebody who's dying, somebody who's perishing, then you take them in the yacht, you take them all the way home, don't you? Ah, that's what God does. That's what He does. I want to give you four things. Four things. Go write them down if you have a pen and paper. I want you to write them down. Four things will assure you of God's keeping power. Four things that will absolutely revolutionize your life. If you're a joyless Christian, you'll begin today to be a joyful Christian. If you're a sad and sorrowful Christian, this will change your life. It changed mine. Four things about the keeping power of God. Number one, the keeping power of God is based on His promises. Secondly, the keeping power of God is guaranteed by His love. Thirdly, the keeping power of God is sustained by Jesus' continuous intercession for us right now. And fourthly, the keeping power of God is maintained by the indwelling Holy Spirit. The keeping power of God is based on His promises, not on a feeling, not of what you think, or what of somebody think, and not of some theologian's opinion, not of that or the other thing. It is based on the promises of God, period. <laughs> That's the only basis on which you can trust the keeping power of God in your life. John chapter 6, verse 37. Listen to what Jesus said. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all those he has given me, but that I raise them up in the last day. You know, in the Greek language, there is a grammar principle here called double negative. Two words, u and me, that means No, not, never. (laughs) Whenever you see the double negative, this is not just, well, no, or might be a good idea to say, be no. No, no, no. 
It means, no, never will I lose them. (laughs) Or, I will never, never lose them or cash them out. Then turn a few pages over to John chapter 10, verse 27 following. Here's what Jesus said. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. You know, when I studied this passage in depth back in my first year in seminary, I remember the day I just sat there and I wept. I wept and I wept. And not bad weeping, it was great weeping. It was wonderful weeping. Happy weeping. Because, you know, if you haven't noticed that, I want to point it out to you. Some of you have got it. There is a double security lock here. The double security lock. Jesus said, nobody can take them out of my hand. And then he says, the Father, who's great, nobody can take them out of his hand. Double security lock. You see, God's keeping power is based on his promises. Secondly, God's keeping power is guaranteed by his love. Is guaranteed by his love. His love is unchangeable. It is for eternity. It's eternal. His love is constant. And that is why John 13, 1 says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till what? To the end. He loved them to the end. Not part of the time. Not some of the way. Not halfway. Not just only when they're successful. Not only when they're just doing the right things. No, 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 no. Jesus' death and resurrection were the ultimate proof of his unchanging, unending, undying, unaffected love. Jesus' death and resurrection have permanently and completely blotted out our sins before his eyes. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. It says that their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. I will remember no more. You see, God's keeping power is based on his promises. God's keeping power is guaranteed by his love. And thirdly, God's keeping power is sustained by Jesus' constant intercession before the Father. Have you noticed what the Bible said about that? Let me read it to you, and you can say right or wrong, okay? I want you to tell me, right or wrong. Jesus is forever before the Father, making excuses for our sins. God bless you. The Bible said Jesus is forever imploring the Father to be merciful to us. Wrong. In case you're not sure. No, 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 no. You see, that wouldn't be right to make excuses for our sins. No, 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 no. No. Here's what the Bible said. 
Jesus is forever before the Father, presenting his own blood before the throne as the only remedy for the condemnation of sin. 1 John 2, 1, he's speaking to believers and he said, If any man sin, we the believers have one who speaks to the Father on our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Can you imagine the devil accusing me before the Father? says, look at Michael. He's inconsistent. Look what he's doing. Look what's happened. Look at this and look at that. And Jesus says to the Father, he came to you, Father, covered by my blood, not by his good deeds. He trusted in the shed blood of my shed blood on the cross. And the Father says, not guilty. Amen belongs here. You see, God's keeping power is based on his promises. God's keeping power guaranteed by his love. And God's keeping power is sustained by Jesus' constant intercession on the behalf of the believers. And fourthly, God's keeping power is maintained by the indwelling Holy Spirit in us. You see, whenever you came to Christ, confessed your sins, recognized that you cannot save yourself, only His blood will make you acceptable to the Father. When you have come to that point in your life and realizing that religion won't cut it, that church won't cut it, that all your hard work won't cut it, that all of your good work won't cut it, when you come to that point in your life when you realize that only the shed blood of Jesus Christ will get you to heaven, when you come to that point in your life, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. He comes and resides in you. He comes and lives on the inside of you. And He constantly confirms the promises of God to you, constantly confirms the Word of God to you. Now, beloved, let me tell you something. I know, and you know, that believers in Christ may grieve the Holy Spirit at times. That believers in Christ quench the Holy Spirit at times. That believers in Christ even resist the voice of the Holy Spirit at times. But the Holy Spirit does not permanently leave the quenching and grieving and resisting believer. He just waits. You see, he is God's gift to you, and God does not take back what he has given to you as a gift. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I don't want you to misunderstand me. We will bring pain upon ourselves when we are disobedient. Yes, we bring agony upon ourselves, and we bring hurt upon ourselves, and even those around us when we are disobedient. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, when we quench the Holy Spirit, yes, we bring pain to ourselves, but the Holy Spirit will just wait. He'll wait. You know, in foolishness, we might try to silence the voice of the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But He just waits, and He waits, until you come back to your senses, until you listen to His voice, until you repent and ask Him to renew you. Listen, I can testify to the times in my foolishness I grieved the Holy Spirit. 
I can testify that in times of foolishness, I have taken the devil's bait by his hook. And I quenched the Holy Spirit in my life. I can testify to you that I have tried to silence the voice of the Holy Spirit at times and stop his conviction from working in me. But the gracious God, the Holy Spirit, waited for me, contending with me, even wrestling with me at times, wooing me, bringing me back to my first love. I know many of you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you need to stop quenching and grieving and silencing the voice of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you, as he's speaking to you right now, as I'm speaking to you. The Spirit of God is talking to you. You know, watching my father being tormented and living a joyless Christian life because of his unawareness of the power, the keeping power of God. That kind of thought was contrasted one day back in January of 1977. It was contrasted so vividly to me that I could never, ever forget the sight. January of 1977, we were leaving Sydney, Australia for Los Angeles, California. And we were in the city making last-minute shopping. And our eldest daughter was two years old at the time. And you know, she was always independent. She was always independent. Always active and always had a creative mind. My mother-in-law and my father-in-law were right in front of us and Elizabeth and I were walking behind them in this busy city, busy traffic, crowds, and, and we were right behind them with our second daughter, Natasha, who was about a few weeks old. And as we were following, I could see my father-in-law holding Sarah's hand. And they're walking, busy streets, traffic, crowds. And she kept trying to wiggle her hand and say, don't hold my hand, Grandpa. The wise Mr. Bailey grabbed into her hand. And then she began to negotiate. (laughs) And she said, okay, okay, okay. Let me hold your hand. You don't hold my hand. And I saw Mr. Bailey's hand, instead of holding her by the hand, he grabbed in her wrist. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing full well that the moment he allowed her to hold his hand, she could easily let go and jump in front of the coming traffic. And I looked at this loving act of a grandfather's hand gripping the granddaughter's hand. And I thought to myself, this is the keeping power of God. My heavenly father knows that if my salvation were dependent on my holding on his hands, ah, in foolishness, 
I could let go of his hand and fall down to my demise. Oh, but thank God. Thank God. He would not entrust me. He would not entrust me to hold his hand. But instead, he takes a grip of my hand. And oh, what joy. What comfort. What rest. What peace of mind. What assurance. Beloved, you are in the grip of his keeping power. My joyous Christian life did not begin until I begin to understand these truths from the Word of God. And it is my prayer that if you are living a joyless Christian life, that these truths from the Word of God, of the character of God and of the nature of God, that will begin today your joyous life in Him. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.